When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 49th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded just off Historic Abbey Road here in central London. And I hope everyone had a safe and happy Halloween this past week. It was a lot of fun here in St. John's Wood. The weather is starting to turn now, and of course, with the time change, it's now dark basically in the middle of the day and only getting darker along the way. And I hope everybody stays safe and has a great fall both here and back home in the U.S. and of course around the world. We appreciate you tuning in to last week's show where we not only got to talk a little bit about me seeing Bruce Dickinson live on his speaking tour, but also reviewing Who's Next, which turned 50 this year. And it's kind of part of our series leading up to our 50th show. We wanted to do a few albums that were classic, that meant something to us, that turned 50 this year. Hence, we did one on Led Zeppelin IV, on Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, on Who's Next. And today we continue it with The Doors' final album, L.A. Woman. Relates to 1971. The last one featuring Jim Morrison before he moved to France and then ultimately lost his life later in the summer of 1971. The Doors had run into a lot of problems, a lot of controversies. Of course, Jim Morrison was an erratic, behaving, drunk, drug addict reveler, and he got into some legal troubles in Miami. The other guys weren't exactly always straight. They had lost their producer. There was some tension within the band, there's no doubt about it. But they were able to make an incredible album in L.A. Woman that spawned some great classics like Love Her Madly, like the title track, like Riders on the Storm, but still incorporate some bluesy numbers that they were all about, incorporating some of their trippy psychedelic sound into a few songs, and really capturing the essence of L.A. in the title track. Yeah, it's a beautiful place, it's a fun place, but it's also a dirty, seedy, dangerous place that you got to be careful of. And I think they epitomize Los Angeles with that track, L.A. Woman. So we're going to do a deep dive into that here. And of course... Our 50th episode, we could never happen without all you great fans around the world. We've had thousands and thousands of downloads in 75 countries around the world, and we really appreciate it. And we want to know what you want to hear about, which bands, which albums, which tours, which movies and related rock and roll kind of properties do you want to hear us talk about? Because we love classic rock, hard rock, progressive rock, some heavy metal early MTV, movies that were touchstones in our lives in the 70s and 80s and 90s that incorporate great rock and roll music. You can let us know all about that at Twitter. Tweet us or DM us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. You can check out all past episodes at www.UglyAmericanWerewolf.Libsyn.com. And please make sure you follow us and download and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Podchaser, Good Pods, anywhere that you get your podcasts. And we've got some exciting stuff coming up for our 50th and what will probably actually also be our 51st episode. We're probably not going to give it to you all at once. We're going to give you to it in a couple of parts, but we've got something lined up that we think is pretty special and I think you're going to enjoy. Not to mention, we've got some great stuff lined up for the rest of the year and beyond. As far as the Doors go, they were a great band to come out of the 60s, kind of a psychedelic pop with that incredible Ray Manzarek keyboard sound that I don't understand why he isn't considered more highly amongst the greats of rock and roll, like the Rick Wakemans and the Keith Emersons and Tony Banks and the big prog kids over here in the UK. Maybe it's because they didn't really do much after the death of Jim Morrison. They did release a couple of albums without him, but no one's ever really heard them, and he never really got into anything else big as far as after the doors go. So their legacy kind of ended with Jim Morrison, but the legacy lived on because the movie, Oliver Stone's movie from 1991, The Doors, really re-sparked a lot of interest in the band. And thanks to classic rock radio, they never went away throughout the 70s and the 80s. Most every kid in the suburbs had a Doors greatest hits, either from their parents or from one of their older siblings or cousins or something. And I remember going through big Doors phase, especially in the 80s, when everything late 60s, 
uh, was popular again in that 86 to 89 period there. And I remember listening to The Doors and thinking, wow, these guys are great. I'm sorry I missed out on them. So today, we're going to explore L.A. Woman and Jim Morrison, The Doors, what their legacy is, and this last statement that they didn't know at the time was going to be their last statement, but they still seemed that maybe something in the air that it was going to be the end, my only friend, the end. So listen with us to The Doors, L.A. Woman, right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. This record is pretty great. And it just kind of dawned on me that this is the last one Morrison did. This was his last work, you know, and we, I don't know, did you go through a Doors phase in high school? I feel like a lot of us did. No, I didn't. I really get into the Doors until college, until the movie came out. Mm -hmm. I always kind of thought, I always thought they weren't really that good in high school because I'm like, oh, whatever. It's all Jim Morrison, right? I don't think that anymore, especially after going back and listening to this one. It's it's pretty good. And there's a lot of stuff going on other than the Morrison mystique. Right. The oh, other yeah, guys yeah. in the band were really good. And I don't know who decided to pick up Jeff, his name, the bassist. Yeah, Elvis's guy. Hold on, I got it right. Elvis's guy, yes. He is the star of the show, really. Just locking down the beat. And I never, I always thought that was, I always thought they had cool bass riffs on this, but I never really knew anything about it until I started reading for the show. I'm like, yeah, he really sets the foundation and lets everybody groove off of that. And if you play with Elvis, you're pretty good. I mean, again, Elvis could have anybody that he wanted in his band. And if he had you, you were the best. Yeah, damn it, Jackson. How are we going to have back and forth when we agree all the time, man? That was what I took out of this. I'm like, you know, the Doors didn't have a bass player as a member of their band, right? Jim right. Morrison's on the vocals. Ray Manzarek's this incredible piano player, keyboard, organ player. And that's when you said it's all Morrison. I'm like, nah, nah. Ray Manzarek's kind of special. You know, he's he, he's kind of would be, could have been America's answer to like the Prague superstars over here. Now, now you're going to make me upset because I've thought the same thing again. I'm like... Why does he not get the same accolades? It's like a Keith Emerson or a yes. Tony Banks. I'm like, yeah, I know. Because because it, it wasn't, it was psychedelic. It wasn't prog, but I guess there really wasn't prog necessarily when they started. And again, Morrison got so much attention. But no, and then Robbie Krieger, of course, was the guitar player and John Densmore was the drummer. And he remarked about how Jerry Sheff is yeah. Elvis's bassist. And the Doors had had bass on their records over the years. It, it was guy named it was Dunham I think something like that Some, yeah something like that but but never never an actual member of the band always just a, a session guy and I mean I, I don't remember if they had did they have somebody play live with them on the bass like they probably did yeah they, they did they they would kind of take them on tour because you kind of had to recreate the sound the right way but you know and they had a few different guys uh, over the years 
And they had other guest stars. I mean, like Lonnie Mack played some guitar on some of their albums. But Doug Lubon, Doug Lubon played on, I think, their first, like maybe their first three or maybe their second through fourth albums, something like that. So he was kind of around a lot. I don't know if he's the guy they took out on tour or not. But obviously, in a rock band, you need a bass. And if you listen to their music over the years, sometimes they don't have a bass. Sometimes Manzarek is holding that down with his left hand. Yeah. But obviously, sometimes like there is, and obviously throughout this record, that really is, you can't miss it. And it is just in the pocket. And it's like Densmore was remarking about how that helped him and Jim kind of understand each other better a little bit yeah. uh, and how to, how to phrase better and, and keep Manzarek from going just nuts and, and doing crazy stuff. It's like having that bass, that groove. God, man, this is that alone makes it this fantastic record to me because of the way that you can, it makes you move. It makes the songs bounce, you know, but stay steady rockers. Whereas then you throw in the Morrison, this is the last we hear of him thing, basically. This is his swan song. No one knew that at the time, I guess, although they did break up. They knew it was going to be the last one for a while. It would seem, and that's the that's the hard part for me going back through. Well, I mean, he he was gone before I was even born, so you're looking at this as a finite deal. Yeah, how much of that did he know at this point in time? Was he not that he not that he knew he was going to die, but knew that maybe man, this is kind of over. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, we we've beaten this thing to death. I think that we, my wife and I were talking about Kurt Cobain on the car ride home yesterday, and. Even though Nirvana was a band and they were part of a movement, the grunge movement, it was pretty much all Kurt Cobain. Everything was focused on him. Same thing with The Doors. It was all Jim Morrison Mm -hmm. as far as the public went. So, I mean, he had this giant crushing weight on top of him. Was he just sick of it at this point in time? Well, yeah, and he was always f***ed up, dude. He he was such a pain in the ass. And he was... He had been this sex symbol, basically, in the 60s, in the, in the 1970, and then, eh, he was not a thin guy. He was uh, <laughs> drinking and eating and going on trips and, and, I mean, acid trips, you know, psychedelic trips and not moving around much. So he didn't look the part anymore. I don't know, in the 80s, when we were in high school, just everything from the 60s was big again. It's like that every 20 years thing, and like the Woodstock remembrance was big, and as we've spoken on the show before, some big tour came back in a big way. Pink Floyd did a huge tour. The Stones did a huge tour. The Who came back and did a big tour. So things from the late 60s were big again. And yeah, there was, you know, talk about eventually them doing a movie, which they did, you know, with Val Kilmer. But my dad had a cassette. It was like the best of the Doors. Or was it Doors Greatest Hits? It was Doors Greatest Hits that came out just a little bit after Jim died. And the first song on it was from a live album. It was the old Bo Diddley song that George, that we used to jam with George Thorogood back in the day. Who do you love? Who do you love? Very psychedelic and, and out there kind of thing, but still a great one. And, and that, of course, hooked me in. Because, you know, I think he also it was a Columbia House thing. Like when you get six tapes or whatever, then you got to buy some more because it kind of had that generic thing on the side of it. So, you know, once I got into music and dad just had it laying in a box somewhere or in a shelf, I just kind of appropriated it. And that was my first kind of introduction to it. And it has a lot of the familiar ones, but they did the double disc Best of the Doors. It was two CDs. We had that in college. I think I got that in high school, and I it may have been a Columbia House thing, too. Those two CDs, there's so much great stuff in there. You're, there's no clunkers, really, on any of those. And then it doesn't even have every single song that they did. So getting into it as a young person, as a teenager, being like, all right, what's 60s music about? What did I miss? And you're obviously not getting any more of the doors. Yes, the fact that he died kind of makes him a legend, Right? He kind of cast his shadow after he died. Like, we were this incredible band. We made this amazing music for this tiny little period of time. And then, boom, gone. No more. Yeah, because you figure that John Lennon died in, what, 81? So at least you had that after. December 80. December 1980. Okay, December 80. You had that period after the Beatles. You know, he, he did some solo stuff before he was tragically killed. Morrison never had that. Like, he just... 
you, I mean, you don't know what he would have done after the doors. Would he have faded away? Would he have done some other stuff? Would he have had a new band? You don't know. And to your point before, in 1989, if since all that other stuff came back, would the doors have tried something like that? You know, okay, guys, it's been however many. I mean, that would have been huge had they done that. Then. Well, but who knows if they decided after a couple of years. Let's go over to uh, Paris and we'll record with Jim. We maybe we don't tour. We'll just go over there and we'll record and you know see what happens. Yeah. And because what he's twenty seven, I mean he, you know he should have had a lot yeah. more time left. So I mean who knows what could happen in, in all that time? And I don't think he was necessarily leaving, quitting the doors so much as like I got to get off. Just I got to break. Yeah, I need to get off the circus, right? I, I need to go yeah. home for a while. Um, and and he could kind of be anonymous over there, get all the booze and drugs he needed, I suppose. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the doors were just kind of part of the part of the soundtrack, I guess, of of our late '80s when all that '60s music was coming back together. And not all that stuff is great, but I'm like, yeah, the doors are pretty good. It's just I don't know when did the movie come out? Uh, 1991. So yeah, so like on the tail end of high school. Tail end of high school. Okay, yeah. And then that probably so contributed to it too. Yeah, absolutely. That to me, that's when when that movie came out. I was like, all right, let me take, let me check this out. But a friend of mine in high school was like, man, that that movie looks really good for being so old. Jimmy, what are you talking about? Well, Jim Morrison died like he died like twenty years ago. That's Val Kilmer. That's not that's not Jim Morrison. It's not a. I mean, but he was kind of an idiot. But that's fine. <laughs> He's a friend. You of know, him. just a little just a little slow on the uptake. But it did show you how more of how. Kilmer really did a great job looking like him, acting like him from what I can see, and sounding like him in the in the vocal parts. I think he sang the live stuff in the movie, but not they didn't re-record anything like in the in the recording studio. But I think he did the, the when they were on stage, he did sing. Yeah, I think you're no, I, I think you're pretty right about that. Yeah, and, and my thing with the movie was that I remember watching it, thinking, man, you know, there was a lot of crap they went through with him. Yeah, I'm surprised it lasted as long as it did, and then. It was only like five years. Yeah, start but to finish. It, yeah, it's still an intense five years. I mean, dealing oh, with sure. him being wasted all the time. We talked about this a long time ago. I'm like, if we were in his band, we would have kicked his ass. You Correct. Know. Come right. sober once a week. You know, come work. Ugh. Well, that goes back to you know what we've talked about a couple of times on this program is that the story is the same again and again and again. You know, you kind of you're nothing. You're nobody. You're living in a you're living in a warehouse or something trying to make it you make it okay here we go it's great and then this the person who is burns the hottest mm-hmm. they start to flame out on you and again yeah you don't know what you're gonna get they're kind of doing their own thing we got to stay together and make no nope, it's just you had everything you wanted and now it's falling apart yeah gotta wait for the diva to, to correct show up. yeah correct and what are you gonna do go on without him <laughs> right. that you can't do <laughs> that that's our can't do yeah so it's interesting to look back on this now knowing that it, it was his last recording and like we said, what else would he have done? And did he know, did he have a premonition? I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting that this is the last record that he made. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about that. And obviously they got into that movie and anyone's read the books, you know, no one here gets out alive or, you know, all the different ones that they have out there at this point. Yeah, he was a very spiritual guy, Morrison. And they tell the story about the dead Native Americans he saw on a trip as a boy, you know, driving across the country with his family, how he felt that that guy's spirit jumped into him. And then obviously Stone has some trippy scenes in the picture where Mm. it's like he's dancing around on stage and then there's Native guys dancing with him. And when he walks off in the desert, when they're doing mescaline or whatever they were doing, peyote, acid, I don't know. I don't do those things. Correct. Uh, Better to stay away from that. Yeah, you know. He had this odd side and and he had a different way of seeing things, obviously. Kind of had a bit of a dark side to him. So I guess it's a fair question of yours to wonder, did he know? Did he know? And and the the thing that kind of... The thing that stinks about all of this is that you wanted all of this creativity, like you wanted this person who could who could bring these ideas to the band, but then ultimately it was going to burn him out on the back end. Like you can't, like I said before, you can't burn that hot without kind of crashing and, and going into a spiral. And for the rest of the guys in the band, it's like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to go on without him? They did make at least two records without him afterwards, which I never knew until I started looking at this as a, as a three-piece. And yeah, the look on your face 
Ice says, well, could, yeah, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> okay. I did, did not know that. Them. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. Did they really? Again, that, that's what I, yeah, they made, they made, yes, they, they put out a record called Other Voices huh. in October 18th of 1971. Yes. And I've never and, even heard of that. And it did not sell. <laughs> yeah. And then they put out Full Circle in 1972. Again, not, didn't hear about it. And then there was one in 78 called An American Prayer that had stuff, old stuff that Morrison had done. Back to the point of you, this guy, basically this guy is the engine that's running the whole band. You can't have it without him. So you're going to have to put up with something. <laughs> This is Neil from Daft Left Pod, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. All right, track by track, let's okay. get into it. The first thing on this was that they kind of went back to like a kind of a straight ahead, stripped down, blues based record, less freak out psychedelic. <laughs> and I think the the original producer on this, whose name escapes me at this moment, basically said, "I don't like this. I'm not. I'm, this is not very good. I don't want any part of this." No, that's right. They had the same guy. It was a guy who was in the movie who's been in a bunch of Oliver Stone's movies. Kind of got that raspy voice. Hi, guys. I think you're amazing. But no, he did not like it. And he'd done all of their stuff. It was Paul Rothschild. Okay. He had done all of them. When they first signed, he was part of the whole, yeah, I want to work with you thing. And then he was kind of dissing them. Thought, love her madly, which I love. It was too, I don't know. It was too, it was... Was it set for more old people? It wasn't young and vibrant enough? I don't know what his problem with it was, but he didn't love it, so they ditched him. Or he, he split. Maybe he didn't like writers either, but whatever. So Bruce Botnick, who was the engineer, he, he kind of came in and helped them out with this. But so you would think, all right, look, Morrison's out of control, and he shows up, he's wasted, whatever. Uh, now we're losing our producer. You know, it's all kind of falling apart here, right? Eh. He's been arrested. He's been in court down in Miami. It's costing us a ton of money to not tour. It's costing us a ton of money for this legal stuff and to keep him down there and to keep him plied with everything we need him to keep him plied with, women and drugs and everything else. All the essentials in life, yes. It's kind of amazing that they got the album out of it, but they did obviously have some really good stuff, some really good material. And I, I, I wish I knew a little bit more, because they say, you know, all songs written by the Doors, except for maybe when they have a, a John Lee Hooker song or something like that. Originals are all written by the Doors. But, you know, sometimes you hear, well, Robbie did the lyrics, and Jim did this, and Robbie did the... Manzara came up with the music, that kind of thing. And I wish... It was just, they would give us a little more insight into that as far as who really was. I'm like, okay, yes, obviously Jim's probably writing most of the lyrics. That's what he was, the poet, the writer. But he couldn't play an instrument. So it's like, was this a Krieger song? Was this a Banzarek song? Was it all three of them together? Right, and then I wonder too if... Because the, the, I guess the story, too, was that they didn't, when they went in to record this, they really didn't have a whole lot of stuff ready to go. It was kind of like, let's explore the space. So then I wonder if Jerry Schreff on the, or Chef on the bass, was, did he get into it saying, okay, here, let's start here and then build off of that? I don't know. That would be an interesting idea, too, since he was such a rock-solid professional musician. Did they start with him? Yeah, it would be cool to get a little more explanation. I do like when it's written by the Doors or whoever, because that just makes it easier. But yeah, it, you can't say everybody contributed equally to every song. That's just not how it works. Right. And you like Robbie Krieger famously wrote Light My Fire, both the music and the word. Obviously, you want to know, well, who, who's writing that? But you may be right about Chef again, because with him was Mark Benno, who was Elvis's rhythm guitarist. So that's the two of them together. That's pretty solid. A bass and a rhythm guy. They're both on point all the time in the pocket. It makes it a lot easier for everybody else to kind of be able to do their thing. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you might be on to something there. It would make a lot of sense. Well, and you were talking, too, about, about Densmore before. Was it a deal, too, where he got in there and started playing and said, oh, my goodness, this is so much better because now I, I know the bass is solid. Now I can kind of do something else with this and, and get more in tune with what Morrison's doing on the vocals. Yeah, that would be that would be an interesting dynamic to see how that all came together. Absolutely. Because who knows, maybe maybe those two dudes showed up and it was just kind of a mess and they're like, Okay, here we go. Start here and then we'll build something on top of it. Yeah, yeah. The changeling to me is is a little bit of an odd way to open the album to me. 
Okay. I don't think it's the strongest track. It's a little weird. It is good to hear the bass. The bass gives it a good backbone. But it just seems like Robbie plays a watered-down version of what he plays on L.A. Woman just a few tracks later. And I don't know. It's not my favorite on the album. It's not bad. It shocks me that the Doors wanted to make this the first single. Like, that's what they said. The the band wanted this to be the first single, which is, I guess, why you put it first if that's what you really believe. But you had three other songs that were way better singles. And not to mention the title track. There's nothing wrong with starting the title track on the album first off there. I don't know. To to me, it's an odd way to start it, given, I don't know, the rest of uh, the the record to me. Yeah, and and I don't know why they why that decision was made. And then, I mean, again, going back to what I was saying before about how is Morrison trying to tell you something here? Like I'm done with this. I want to go do something else. I'm changing into something that's not this. I don't know. But yeah, it is the beginning part of it. That bass groove is just fantastic. And then, you know, the, the keyboards come in on top of that. It's, it's a cool, it's a weird song. I agree with you. I don't know why you would do that first. But it is kind of a cool change of pace for the uh, for what they had done before, like more of the psychedelic freakout stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, hey, look, it's it's not bad. It's just given some of the other stuff they've got on here, it's it was interesting choice to me. Okay. But they come right back with "Love Her Madly," which is a very upbeat song, and I got to give Robbie a little credit here. I mean, uh, that guitar, yep. it, it's it, it kind of sets the tone again. I say again with the bass because I made notes on this. Again, the bass, God, that's really good. But Manzarek in the middle of it is classic, classic doors. That to me is the door sound. And I, I gee, here we go again, because I <laughs> wrote that down. It is, you know, for as much of the accolades as Morrison gets, and Light My Fire being the kind of the signature of the big door song with that intro, I think you're right. I think Ray Manzarek is the signature door sound. Like when you hear him play, you know, that's the doors. That's the sound of the doors. Absolutely. So I, yeah, yeah. I literally wrote that same sentence down. All right. I bet you didn't put Robbie is solid if understated because that's what I put. I love her madly. Uh, no, but I did, I did, no, I did not write that down, but I did write down Manzarek Doors signature sound question mark. <laughs> it's an interesting song too. It was one of their bigger hits. I mean, like you said, if you had the greatest hits, this was on here, but when you kind of, when you really listen to it, it's like, yeah, is this, is this someone chasing someone they can't? Don't you love her as she's walking out the door like that? You know, you this unrequited love that you have for this person that you're just never going to catch up with or never going to accept. And then you kind of get into the, you know, are you talking about like a person a or are you talking about a concept, you know, of... I don't know. What, what else well, is the going band, on? Because I think Robbie wrote a lot of that while Jim was dealing with his court stuff in Miami. Mm-hmm. So is it that he is, is it about love of a woman? Is it about, am I appreciated in this band? Is, is this the thing I'm supposed to be doing? Or, or is this, and, and also is this, you've got something that's working now and, and is it now, do you see it leaving? Do you see Morrison starting to flame out, starting to want to do something else? And what, what are we going to do after this? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Or if this doesn't work out. So catchy song, not real long, just a little over three minutes, and it has a fade on it. So yeah. But in that three minutes, you know, they get the nice beat going there, good groove to it, the great Ray Manzarek part in the middle, bring it all back together, great vocals, catchy, classic Doors tone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now it's time think, to change gears, Jackson. Yes. Usually yes. on the third song is a gear changer, I find. First song, yeah. got to be a good one. Second song, in some ways, you got to try to take it up a notch. But the third song, it whoa, you got to throttle back. Well, and it just, it, it shows me that, again, I was not a huge Doors fan in the in high school. I got into them in college. But really, all of the guys, all of the people that we love, the Stones, the who the the uh, Led Zeppelin they all only wanted to be blues guys. That's what they, that's where it all started. That's where it all came from. And this is kind of their their you know ode to a blues song. Just taking it back to the back to the beginning. What well, did you see that Paul McCartney threw a little shade towards the Stones? He's like they're they're kind of just a blues band. Like we we did okay. you know we experimented more, but I think everything they did was very blues based. Why can't you? Why can't you be cool? Why can't you say something? I mean, seriously, Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney's worth like a billion dollars. He's sold more records. You know he's the king ding a I get it. Why can't you be like, you know what? Stones are great. Love those guys. 
all day long. Much love. Everybody, you know, but like Ringo Starr says, peace and love, peace and love. Why are you going to be like that? <laughs> oh, they're a blues cover band or something. No, they're not. Well, Mick politely went back to like, well, you know, we're a we're a performance band. Uh, and we certainly did it at big stages in the late, you know, starting in the late 60s and early 70s and through to today. And that's kind of what we're about. Whereas they, what did, you know, they stopped in 65, 66. They didn't tour ever again. So, you know, take that, Prima <laughs> Donna's yeah. in the ivory tower. We're out here on the road. Yeah, I don't, I just don't, I don't understand why you have to be like that. But yeah, I did read that. I'm like, that just sounds, from Paul McCartney, that just sounds petty. That's just what I like said. Petty. I'm like, he's always yeah. above that. He's always, yeah, we love the song. They're buddies. Yeah, so. somebody, somebody posted something on, on Twitter the other day and it was just like, it was like, hear me out here. Just saying, Rolling Stones don't have their original bass player, don't have their original drummer. The Beatles Still have the bass player and the drummer. Just saying. I'm like, well, after that comment, that'll probably, yeah. <laughs> if that was ever going to be a thing, not anymore. Just saying. I never thought about that. I didn't either until they posted that. I'm like, well, that makes, in a, in, a, in a crazy alternate universe, that would be pretty cool. Wow, now I'm thinking about that. They couldn't do that, but what if they just did it for a night? Or two. Interesting. Anyway, all right, so Been Down So Long is track three. Now, I will say that what I wrote down on this one is it it really sounded cool because Krieger and Mark Benno were going back and forth on that Mm -hmm. in the rhythm and lead part. I I thought they sounded great together, the the interplay between the two guitars. Yeah, it's it's more of a dirty, bluesy song. You know, I I, I liked it. And I thought the slide was good. The the slide Mm -hmm. guitar on there is pretty good. You don't hear that on all door, uh, Doors tunes. So I said, yeah, that, that's a good... And it's not really... You, you slow down, but it's not like you're losing pace, if that makes sense, just because now you're you're not love her madly. You know, this is more like... The, the pace of the song is slower, but as far as the emotion you're ramping up and a little yeah. the dirt you're bringing into it, it's a little different now. And, uh, and it definitely sounds like a, it definitely sounds like a, a song you would hear at some like bar with the sawdust on the ground. Yeah. And, you know, just some old crusty dudes up there playing. Been down so long. Yeah. You know what? Every once in a while you feel like that. And that's what the blues is all about. Just for a while, everything kind of stinks. That's and right. Yeah, that slide guitar. I'd, I'd have to go back and listen to everything else. I don't think there's a whole lot. They don't do that a whole lot in the Doors catalog. I don't think so either. There's. It's more just like the plucking and then the Manzarek is what they kind of stick to for the most part. But I mean, you know, so they're on a good blues trip here, and then the next song, "Cars Hiss by My Window," more blues, right? More of it. Yeah. And I wrote down this one. Got this girl beside me, but she's out of reach. So now are we going, you know, are we echoing that theme of love for Madly, just that unrequited love again? But but a cool song I, I wrote down, that, that's a cool blues groove again on this one. It yeah. starts off and it's the same thing. But it's kind of it's kind of like he, he talks about here in the ocean. So you, you do kind of have that L.A. beachy theme right. in it. And I don't know if they were... They're in Venice, I guess. That's kind of where they like to hang out with the weirdos down there. And I think it was a song Morrison kind of wrote about, you know, he's got a he's got a hot apartment in a hot town with a hot girl, but he's still having a bad time somehow. Maybe because of all he was doing and ingesting, but that was kind of his thing. So yeah, even though he's it you would see think he's in paradise in this great place with a hot chick, but he's still not happy. Yeah. And then that, yeah, it just goes back to his state of mind at that at that point in time. What was he going through? You know, you think you have everything, and yet you still find a way to be miserable about your situation. Well, speaking of, are you talking about the band? Are you talking about the girl? L.A. Woman. Is that really about a woman, or is that about the town itself? Is that about the music biz? I don't know. There's a lot going on in LA Woman. Now, to me, as a, you were talking about listening to them in high school, this this was the one to me that I always loved because as somebody who grew up in the Northeast, the concept of LA was just so far away and so unbelievably sexy. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just, it's, it's 82 degrees every day. Everybody's beautiful. Everybody's got a ton of cash that you live by the beach. It's, you couldn't ask for a, a, a better place in my mind. I mean, it has downsides. I get it, but yeah, that to me, the doors were always selling that LA, LA cool, vibe and yeah i think you're right i think it is more about a love song to the city itself but knowing you know the 
dirty, seedy underbelly of it too. LA has a little weight to it. They, you know, they, they kind of make it like it's Hollywood and it's plastic. And it, there's a lot of that out there for sure. Yeah. But there's also some stuff about LA. It's kind of heavy, man. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of different worlds out there in LA. Mm-hmm. Rabbit holes to go down, let's say. <laughs> and, and I always thought because, because this kind of happened at the same point in time in my life, I kind of thought that Guns N' Roses really kind of echoed this too about how LA is this incredibly sexy place, but also has this filthy, filthy underbelly to it that you get there and you say, "Oh, I didn't. Remember. What is all of this?" Also, well, no, that's right. It was like the the Doors were were writing like an Edgar Allan Poe poem about it, and like Guns N' Roses was like showing you a porno video. <laughs> You know, some kind of violent, you know, lethal weapon kind of movie, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But the song itself, man, first of all, you hear the sound of somebody yeah. speeding off. And yeah. then there's that bass line. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And they get into this incredible groove, man, right in the pocket there. And then everyone's. Right. It starts off with the man Zarek. That that signature beginning to it, yeah. It, it, to me, to me, this is their their signature song. You think more than uh, "Light My Fire," "LA Woman" is the Doors best? To me, yes. Yeah, I think "Light My Fire" is is. I mean, I, to me, this is more like kind of looking back on this. The veil has been taken off your eyes now for them. Like "Light My Fire" was kind of the you know the beginning, and this is where they started, and they were young and happy. And this is more like, yeah, I love this place. But it's also, it's going to burn me too. And I know that now. And I'm trying to tell you what's going on. And it's it's just, to me, it's just a little older, a little wiser. Yeah, no, and obviously if you look back now, we know all the songs that they've ever done and, you know, that have ever come out. Is this them at their best? Maybe. Maybe, you know, this is them going up and they're finding, yeah, yeah, we're not just a, we didn't already do all our best stuff. There's still great stuff out there for us to find. And again, having Chef and Ben on, woo, that is a great, great groove. And you talk about, but you know, it's also talking about cops in cars, topless bars, never saw a woman so alone. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. In L.A., yeah, there's 10 million, 15 million, however many million people out there. But everybody's alone. Everybody drives their own car. Everybody lives in houses and stuff that are all spread out everywhere. You know, if you go into the East Coast, like into New York and Boston, or over here in Europe, certainly where I live in London, people live in high-rise buildings and they're part of a neighborhood, you know, and they do their shopping in a neighborhood and, and stuff like that. Maybe they take a train somewhere for work. But like in L.A., everybody's on their own thing, right? So you are alone a lot. Not to mention, because this is like the plasticity of the place. If you're not at the certain rich level or in the certain business or have the certain looks, then you're just kind of left behind a lot. You know, it's like, okay, if you want to be in this scene, you just don't make it. Go find another one. And people get bummed out about that kind of stuff. But you're right. I mean, you do pay a premium in L.A. to be driven everywhere in your car to then pull behind a giant gate in a mansion all by yourself. Yeah, there, there isn't that sense of, like, yeah, you live in L.A., but like you said, you live by yourself. Right, alone. yeah. And, you know, after that line, they, they slow it down real low, right? They, they, they bring it back down. Ooh, we're going to bring it down low for a second here. Let everybody build up. And you hear Mr. Mojo rise in the anagram of Jim Morrison. Start singing that in there. And then they build it back up. Mr. Mojo, Raz. Yeah. And then Robbie comes in with that great guitar, big crescendo up there. And, and it's like, that's a fun. And he and Morrison comes back, digging in with that blues voice, of repeating that first line again. It's classic. It to might me, be the best great, song. You're right. I, I think you're right. It, to, it may be. And, and to me, this is a great song, like when you're driving somewhere. Like, if you just kind of, you know, you get that, like, you're just pumping along on the highway. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do. I think it's their best. And if you get a bunch of liquored up fraternity brothers in tuxedos or whatever, you put this on, it's like, hey, everybody can dance to this. <laughs> everybody can hop up and down to this, you know, even the guy who can't walk straight. Yeah, all right, we'll, we'll get together and hop around to this one. <laughs> What a classic. And that would end the proverbial first side. Of course, we never had the tape or the album. Just mm-hmm. the first side. Hey, this is Action Jackson. The Wolf and I are coming at you on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. All right, side two. Here we go. Yeah. Side two. Strange little tune, America. 
to start off side two. Now, here's what I wrote down. And I listened to this more than what, a couple times at the beginning. I would really never heard this song before until we started getting into this. It kind of sounds a little bit like almost Black Sabbath at the beginning. Like that, like that dark, like maybe a lighter Black Sabbath song. But still, I'm like, well, that's, huh, that's a change of pace from the, from the other stuff on the record so far. Well, that's interesting. I put it start slow and odd, which, you know, I guess could could fit some Black Sabbath songs. It wasn't from this these sessions, though. You know, it was something they had written for a, a movie's a brisky point that got rejected. But it, after the odd kind of thing, it warms up and it gets a bit of a groove. But see, then it, it kind of stops again. I don't know. I thought it, it's got a lot of great, I put rampant with Manzarek melody, but just kind of an odd song. And I wonder, you know, what for Zabriskie Point, did the director ultimately think the same thing? Yeah. And, and then I, I wonder too, like it almost kind of sounded like a poem, it was more like a spoken word thing instead of really a song. So yeah, I don't know. It, it really does not fit with the rest of this. It's kind of a little odd tuck in here at the beginning of side two. Yeah, you know, so it's like, yeah, we got this one laying around. I, <laughs> I, 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 let me see. Words weren't right last time. Now I can fix them. Okay, yeah, let, let's put this together. So, But interesting, right? They start off the first side with Changeling, which they thought was the lead single. Yeah. Record company thought otherwise. I kind of side with the record company on that one. And then the, the second side, which again, most people bought LPs back then. And the easiest mm-hmm. songs to play on an LP are the first on the side, basically. You don't have to say, oh, where is that? Right. No, you just drop it and it'll play that one right away. So to start both sides off with not their best song on either side by far, that's just kind of interesting to me. It's like, did they know what they were doing or did they not realize what they were actually good at? Yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's, it would be, that would be another interesting conversation to have with those guys. How did you, once you had the total number of songs locked in, how did you decide which went where? Just out of curiosity. Exactly. I don't know. Now, the Hyacinth House, again, a song I didn't really know, which comes next. It's a pretty, it's a classic Doors melody. And honestly, I thought it might be the best song on the album that I'd never heard before. Because about half of these are things they've played on radio, on classic rock radio over the years. If they're featured in movies or whatever. This is one I didn't really know very well. And I thought maybe it's, it's certainly among the best on the album. I think it's probably the best not known song on it. Yeah, and, and I do love this. We talked about this before. When you listen to an album with, especially with stuff that that you've heard so many times before, to find some this one, hey, wait a minute, how did I miss this? Yeah, it's got a cool groove at the beginning. One of the things that he says is he needs to find someone who doesn't need me. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, like, mm, you know, are you having problems in the past? With it, it had to be very hard for him to find somebody who was not enamored of his stardom or his fame. And then something about how you gave away the Joker. That was my last card to play. Oh boy, oh boy. What are we? What are we talking about here? Where are we going with this? Right. Yeah. yeah he... And then he said something about there was something about the bathroom being empty. You know, is the bathroom open or the bathroom empty? And they were saying that's where he, because they recorded it like in a, in not a studio, they made a studio out of something else. He recorded his vocals in the bathroom because that had the best acoustics. There was no standalone vocal booth, so they made it into that. So that was kind of a nod to that, I think. Yeah, they didn't show them at least having a big scene recording it that way. Because it was, yes, it was in a house and he was doing it in the bathroom. But at the end of the movie, like after, you know, we go to his grave and all that kind of stuff, there's a jam session of them doing it. LA woman and they're in the house and they're all jamming along to this and yeah they follow Morrison into the bathroom and he's in there singing uh, and rocking out and I'm like yeah that that was good LA woman and that's that's the way they did it I'm like that would have been a fun scene man like being in a house girls there's pot there's whatever else you want you just play away. No one gets in. You're not well, stuck in the studio. Yeah, and especially if they didn't really have a clear idea of what they wanted to do, I think those the the time in that in that space would have been really cool. Okay, what do you want to do next? Well, let's let's go this way. Oh, I like that. Let's put we can we can work with that. We can make that into a song. Yeah, that would be that would have been very interesting to have been a fly on the wall at those sessions. Absolutely. Uh, but to wrap up Hyacinth House, my last note was good guitar by Robbie, but not overwhelming. He's not the guy who steps out front there like a Clapton or a Becker. You know, it's like, here's everything I got. Here's the turn me up. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to fit into this. It's going to make sense. It's going to be good. I'm, you know, I'll stand out during my part, but I'm not going to, I'm not hogging the stage and I know who the star is. So, we'll, you know, mm-hmm. we'll leave it there. Yeah. 
now we're gonna now we're gonna really go this is the only song on here that's a cover and we are paying tribute to I somebody that I think does not get the the accolades that he deserves the John Lee Hooker's Crawling Kingsnake John Lee Hooker is the master of blues and yes. blues guitar it's it's a classic of his and Crawling Kingsnake you always just kind of wonder hmm what's he talking about with the Crawling Kingsnake <laughs> yeah <laughs> Crawling Kingsnake what could that be but. <laughs> It's great if you can pull it off. Not everyone can pull off John Lee Hooker, and I think even John Lee Hooker got it from somebody who came before him, blues man before him. But it's a classic AAB blues kind of thing, and I don't know. I mean, it's not as dirty as they could have been. I felt like the Been Down So Long was was maybe a little dirtier as far as a blues song goes. But yes, my last note was, I assume this is a song about a man's member. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, possibly, but but what I do like is when guys like this. I mean, again, everybody wanted to be somebody, right? You started somewhere, you listened to records, and you said, "I want to do that." And so to have them say this was one of the songs that, for whatever reason, they wanted to cover as a as a, a nod to those who came before them, I think is is interesting, and, and I like to hear that. They obviously all got together and said every, every song that we could play, we like this one. It fits in the best. Morrison can do the best job on the vocals. I, I do like this one. I think you hear it every once in a while. Not a huge one off this record. A couple times. I, I mean, I, I've heard this song before. I've heard their version right. of it. And I've heard other people do it, too. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a great old John Lee Hooker blues song. No doubt about it. But, I mean, this is the Doors. I mean, they, they kind of get, as we've said, that signature sound is Manzarek's keyboard. And on this, there's because of Chef, they've got this great groove. But And a lot of people kind of phrase them as a psychedelic band or a 60s band, you know, psycho pop band. But the fact that they could pull off some of these blues numbers mm-hmm. just really kind of shows you they were they were steeped in history and musicianship to be able to go between those different kinds of genres. Correct. And I think that Morrison kind of got a bad rap for not being a great singer. He's, you know, he can't sing like Roger Daltrey. He can't sing like yeah, Robert Plant. But for the stuff that he does, he's it's fantastic. And I think he does a really great job on this, kind of putting it all out on the on the stage, just like you know the yelling parts of it, and a couple of the tracks too. For what he does, he his voice fits perfectly with the songs. Yeah, he's not a bad blues singer. That's. Right, that's for sure, and he, he he knows what the blues are about, what the blues are for, so he knows how to convey that. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Before you run into Texas Radio, <laughs> the Wasp. To me, this one is like that—the one they had before. Been down so long, you just you—it starts into it, and you kind of imagine yourself in this disgusting little honky tonk bar, going into it, you know, sawdust on the floor. You're drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon out of a can and uh, listening to some people play some music yeah it's kind of a cool like not really a story song but you know let me tell you about the let me tell you how this goes but uh, yeah you know even it could have had a little bit of zz top in it even yeah yeah and it's something they played on the radio quite a bit over the years on classic rock just like you know this is a special one right here you know you don't this isn't one of the big singles you don't have this on all the greatest hits albums but this one's it's got a little something to it and again, Raymond Zerkers is little touches here and there, odd little sounds. So it's it's you're talking about Texas radio, which you figure is country, maybe some blues, and then this has got a little bit of that pop psychedelia weirdo stuff in it too. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of straddles the line on a couple of different a couple of different genres. And again, for the rest of this record, I think it fits in pretty well. If they'd have put it on another earlier record probably not but with you got everything else going on i think it fits in and once again the bass is thumping right up front yeah. and center you can't miss it on this one I mean, they should have just gotten this guy i mean you know i know this guy probably didn't want to be in the doors <laughs> you know being elvis this guy probably pays pretty well and then being able to do stuff like with the doors and whoever else it was probably a pretty good life but yeah i mean i, I wouldn't if i could play with this guy all the time i, I mean, would do some that. of his some of his other stuff is so you've got Elvis, you've got the TCB band, which was the, the Elvis taking care of Take business, care business band. band. The Doors, Elvis Costello, Neil Diamond, Johnny Mathis, 
Johnny Rivers, Nancy Sinatra. So obviously this guy was a very accomplished professional musician. So to your point, no, I probably don't have time for band dynamics. I'm here to, to record in the studio and I'm moving on. Yeah, moving on from town to town. And then you finish up with the classic, another big time Doors classic. And this is, you know, the last song on the last record they ever made as a four piece. Now, I have to stop here for a minute. And as a public service announcement, I have to say that we here at the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast do not in any way advocate the use of illegal drugs. However, if by some chance you were in some kind of altered state listening to this song, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy ride to go on because it starts off slow. It's got the it's got the signature keyboards in it. And if the lights are off and it's late at night, it's pretty intense. Riders on the storm, man, with that nice rain effect at the beginning and yep. just some light piano. The piano even sounds like rain to an extent yep. at the beginning of Riders on the Storm. Nice stuff, you know, and yeah, it's mm, 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 like, this is a mellow song. Oh, they're going to wrap up with a mellow song. Well, it's over seven minutes. It's not <laughs> all mellow. It's it's a little dark, and that's perfect, I think, for Morrison's last song because there's some beautiful parts in it. There's some great music, of course, but to have his last tune going out be just a uh, little memory. Not everybody's hunky, not everything's hunky-dory. It's not sunny here at every moment yeah. of every day. It has to be nighttime sometimes, and that's when things crawl out of places. Right, and, and I always kind of thought about, I know he was big into, like you were talking about before, when he would he drove across country and he ran into the Native Americans. This is kind of reminds me of that, like being on this road trip somewhere and just seeing when you're out kind of in the desert, you can see stuff coming towards you because it's so flat. You know, what, what is, you know, what is out there? What are we, what can we run into on the, you know, your journey from point A to point B? Yeah. Just, just a very intense song to end the record. But one I always like, and I do consider it kind of to be a mellow song. I know not all the themes are mellow, but it's got that long Manzarek keyboard part yeah. in there and some crashing of thunder and stuff like that and put it on kind of low it's it's a great way to chill out and it just kind of fades off at the very end there riders on the shore yeah it's it, amazing that's the last song that's it that's how it wraps up it's all over except for the other voices and the whatever the other one i don't even want to know i I guess I can't blame them and they probably had some kind of contractual thing and they probably made some money at it somehow, but obviously. But remember in our episode on Paul Rogers, which I believe is episode number 29, he allegedly was being tracked down to maybe replace Jim Morrison in the doors. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. And yeah. Maybe by Densmore Manzarek, one of them came over to, to kind of check him out. And he was in England and he was kind of running around between places. And I think, look, ultimately, there can't ever have been another lead singer in the doors but Jim Morrison. Because of his right. lyrics, because of his personality, because of who he was, I know that our boy. Boy, Ian Asbury was in the doors of the 21st century or the 20th century. What was it called? I think it was the 21st century doors, I believe was okay. the name of it. And he, he did a great job, but it was a, it was him getting to pretend that he was Jim Morrison, which has been a lifelong dream of his. I liked it, but I mean, I'll listen to anything that he does. I'm biased. But again, I remember, I think David Crosby said something about how the Doors were 90% Jim Morrison. So what do you think anybody else besides him and the band is going to be? It's just a tribute. You can't. It, 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 well, it's like you were talking about Paul Rogers. It's like somebody trying to replace Freddie Mercury. You can't. The rest of the guys in the band are great. The guy they've got now, Adam Lambert, he does a great job singing, but it's a tribute to Freddie Mercury. That's well, all you're doing. It's, yeah, it's funny because, yeah, obviously Paul Rogers did tour with Queen and wasn't trying to do Freddie Mercury because he's already, you know, Paul Rogers and he, he can right. do songs his own way and, and do his best to honor Fred. But, I mean, it would have been a terrible move for him to go join the doors. That's for sure. And Ian, hey, look, Ian came very close to getting the part over Val Kilmer in the movie. And that would have made it very different. It also, I think, would have made it a much smaller movie because Val Kilmer was an amazing actor, very talented. Um, he's a Juilliard type, if I'm not mistaken. He did an amazing job. He knocked it out of the park. I believe he was nominated for an Academy Award. If not, he should have been. So, But because of his death, there's an aura. There was an aura about him. There was an aura about The Doors. They sold a ton of records. And this is it 50 years ago. And it's just hard to believe that it's been more than 50 years 
since he died, and more than 50 years since basically the doors, as everyone knows them, kind of closed shop there. But it's a great way to go out. A, a lot of bands kind of fizzle and fade away. And this is like, hey, we can still do it. We're going to take a break. We're going to see what happens with Jim and what goes on in the world. We're, we're going to make a killer record, some amazing songs, some great sidemen, and then we're going to fade off. Uh, and then and we walk away instead of fade away. Yes, absolutely. It, yeah, if you were going to have a, if you were going to say you have to pick one record to be your last, you can't be, I, I don't think they could have done anything different or would have wanted to do anything different on this because it, it is a great way to wrap it up. Now it is time in the program for the extra story. Extra story. Extra story. And I don't know if I, I think I've told you the story before, but anyway, if I have, indulge me. Jim Morrison tragically passed away on July 3rd, 1971 in Paris and was buried as such. Fast forward now, I, the young action was on his first dynamic international getaway. I was at that cemetery, July 3rd, 1991, by happenstance. The guy that I was with, he was a huge Jim Morrison fan. He wanted to go see the gravesite. I said, yeah, sounds good. I'll tag along. I can't pass this up. We get there, and I had no idea. And I knew I got off the train, and something was was in the air. Something Ah. was electric. Something was going on. So we go, we see the thing just, and it looks just like it does at the end of the Doors movie with mm-hmm. the, you know, people had put stuff around there. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this cop and he's standing in riot gear. He's got the, he's got the helmet on, he's got the baton, he's got the shield. Okay. Well, that's a little strange, but <laughs> I don't know from around here. Maybe that's how they get down. I don't know. Whatever. He's just kind of standing in the corner. Then I see a couple more. Then now, now there's probably 25 or 30 of these guys hanging around. And I say to my friend, I don't know what's going on, but the spidey sense is going crazy. We got to get out of here. We got to leave. We did what we had to do. We got back on the train. We went back to Paris in the hotel room that night. They said 20th anniversary of Jim Morrison's death. I said, I had no idea. And the cops are tuning people up, beating them with these sticks because there, I guess there was a, after we had left, like kind of when it got to be more nighttime, mm-hmm. just a ton of people showed up and got unruly and they, I, making arrests. But I just, it, just like I said, by happenstance, I had to be there on the 20th anniversary. So I kind of always have that connection with that now. That is a that great never, side story, Jackson. Yeah, that's a bonus. That is, and I remember you telling me that now yeah, I, I do remember that story now. I, I'd forgotten it, though, and that's really cool that you were there by happenstance. Yeah. And, yeah, you figure at nighttime, <laughs> days of drinking. Because July, I mean, it stays dark, like, very late, you know, and so they can drink all day. It's July. People don't really work in France in the summertime anyway. <laughs> and, you know, and some drugs and some heavy-duty rockers and, you know, yeah, a bunch of weirdos. Because other friends have gone there and said, on any random day, you'll go there, and there'll be goth girls and random people there, like that are obviously on stuff and paying tribute. Some of them quietly, some of them not so much. And that's what I thought, especially since the they were. And I can't remember if when was the movie actually released. It was March of nineteen ninety one. Okay, so March. Okay, so this would have been after that. So the movie had come out. So I, that's kind of what I was thinking. I'm like, okay, that's that's why there's so many people here. That's why, because, you know, they've kind of been re- The movie, re- yeah. Re- yeah, exactly. Okay, I got it. There were a ton of people, but yeah, to, to put two and two together after the fact, I said, wow, that's, and I wanted to do that. Well, that is our look at the Doors' L.A. Woman, which turns 50 years this year, 1971, released in the spring. And, of course, the death of Jim Morrison happened in July of 1971. Hard to believe he's been gone for 50 years. Hope you enjoyed our take on it. There's some classic Doors stuff on there. There's some great personnel on those tracks. And Jackson's personal experience with visiting Jim Morrison's grave 20 years to the day after he died. Well, hopefully you can't get that on every podcast, and we hope you appreciate and enjoy it. We did a poll as to which of the four 50th year anniversary records that we've reviewed here the last several weeks was your favorite. We did Led Zeppelin 4 first, followed by Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, then Who's Next, and of course L.A. Woman on this one. Not a huge shock to me, but Led Zeppelin 4 was the runaway favorite with more than 50% of the votes. But glad to see that L.A. Woman did come in second, 
followed by who's next and what's going on. All of that is leading up to our 50th show coming out next week, if you can believe it. And we really appreciate all the support from all you listeners all around the world. And as we always say every week on this show, hey, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? Please let us know. You can tweet us or DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a positive review if you can. It just helps us find more listeners like you, helps us grow the show and get more resources, which can lead to more interviews and all sorts of fun stuff down the road. Check us out at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com for all past episodes. And you can get us on Good Pods, Podchaser, Apple, Spotify. Google Play, Amazon, anywhere you get your podcast, please check us out. Of course, we are super excited for our 50th episode coming out on November 11th. It's going to be a two-parter, and it's going to be a surprise, but it's going to be about a movie that if you grew up in the 80s like we did, you will remember this fantasy sci-fi sword-fighting romp with an incredible rock and roll soundtrack. That's all I'm going to say. I bet a lot of you already know what it is just by that description, but you'll have to tune in on November 11th to hear about it. And it will be a two-parter, and we're looking forward to the second part as much as the first part, because the second part's going to include a very special guest from the fantasy universe that I think everyone will be excited to hear from. So with that, folks, hey, all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.